The world needs courageous men. The world is hungry for men that would chase after Jesus. Sometimes that picture of a man and what he should look like is tainted. It's a puzzling look. Because it's difficult to see him operate at home, in the workplace, with his friends. There's different pictures. Yet the Bible gives us a clear picture of what a man should look like that calls himself a godly man. A man chasing after Jesus. Our hope today, throughout this service today, is for you and for me and for all the men who are fathers and fathers-to-be. That we would take a hard look inside of our own hearts and we would... Ask the Spirit to say, hey, take a peek. Am I living up to the redeemed version that Jesus Christ died on the cross for? We need men who are courageous men. The Bible talks about mighty men. We need men who serve God and aren't afraid to say so. We need bikers who will serve God, aren't afraid to say, you know what? I'm a biker and I love Jesus. We need carpenters. We need welders. We need school teachers. We need businessmen who would do the same, who stand up and say, even if I'm the only one standing, I'll stand alone for Jesus Christ. Our homes are falling apart in our world. You don't have to look far. Hopefully it's not your home, your neighbor's home, your family's home, your friend's home is falling apart because dad is not living to his redeemed potential. Dad is not living to the version that God sent his son Jesus to die for. We have children in our world who are flourishing when it takes place. The stats are incredible. Show me a father chasing after Jesus. I will show you a son and a daughter who has a chance to not only make it in this world, but succeed in this world. Show me a home where dad isn't standing up. I will show you a home that is breaking down, falling apart. God has given us men, we men who are fathers. God has given us an incredible opportunity that only men, that only fathers, that only masculinity has the ability to do in a child's life. That ability comes from God himself because our God is a good, good father. He set the example. If we go off his lead, his son flourish, your son and daughter will flourish. Every once in a while, you get reminded of the impact of a dad in a child's life. Every once in a while, something lands on your doorstep, pops on social media, walks in your house on your television, and you watch it. And you never forget it because it leaves a lasting imprint in your heart. This happened recently in our world. The last episode of American Idol brought a former winner out by the name of Kelly Clarkson. She was given the opportunity to sing a song that basically bore her heart. She laid herself wide open and she said these words in her song. So she sang this song in front of the judges, in front of all the people gathered, in front of all the contestants. She sang this song called Peace by Peace. And the story behind this song is this. This is the story of Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson's piece by piece may bring tears to your eyes, even if you don't know what it's about. But hearing the singer talk about the personal experience that lie beneath the lyrics makes it all harder to hear without getting emotional. The former American Idol star revealed that the track was inspired by her husband's constant love for their 20-month-old daughter, River Rose. Compared with the lack of attention and care Clarkson received from her own father. She said these words, watching my husband love on his daughter all the time, you know, go to her events and just be there and like be present is like hard to watch, but beautiful to watch. The singer told Ryan Seacrest during a radio interview. I know that my kids are going to have that, she said. What's so sad is that Clarkson didn't have that herself. I don't even think I understood the gravity, she says, of my relationship with my father. 
until I was pregnant with River Rose. She went on. I was like, I cannot imagine not seeing this kid to his or her full potential and just seeing what she's going to do, what she's going to be like. But despite how painful it can be to perform this song, Clarkson also said that she's done carrying around anger about her father from the past. And then she closed by saying this. I'm 33 years old. I'm a grown woman. But it's more of that thing where you can try your hardest to salvage relationships. And I did. But at the end of the day, if you keep getting hurt by someone because they just don't know how to properly love people, it's just not worth it. It's not worth the strain in your heart. And it starts to bleed into your other relationships and it becomes super dysfunctional and openly about the absent dad in her life. And then on American Idol, she attempted to sing this song on the closing episode of American Idol. Watch Kelly Clarkson sing this song. This next performer knows nothing about eliminations at all. She survived every single cut season one. She's proved to be an unstoppable force in the industry with a very emotional song called Piece by Piece. Please welcome Kelly Clarkson. And all I remember is your back Walking towards the airport Leaving us all in your past I traveled 1,500 miles to see you I begged you to want me but you didn't want to But piece by piece He collected me up Off the ground where you abandoned things Yeah, piece by piece He filled the holes that you burned in me yeah, six years old And you know He never walks away He never asks for money He takes care of me he loves me piece by piece He restored my faith That a man can be kind And a father could stay And all of your words They fall flat I made something of myself And now you want to come back But your love, it isn't free It has to be earned Back then I didn't have anything you needed So I was worthless Piece by piece He collected me up Off the ground where you abandoned things Yeah, piece by piece He Fill the holes that you burned in me Six years old, you know He never walks away He never asks for money He takes care of me Cause he loves me Piece by piece He restored my faith That a man can be kind And a father could stay Piece by piece I fell far from the tree I will never leave her Like you left me And she will never have To wonder her worth Because unlike you I'm gonna put her first And you know He'll never walk away He'll never walk away He'll never break her heart He'll take care of things He'll love her Piece by piece, he'll restore my faith. That a man can be kind, and a father, and a father should be great.
that's a real example of what can happen when a man who calls himself a dad, a father, refuses to be in the picture for his son or daughter. This is my hope today. My hope is this. No matter where you're at in that journey, no matter if you walked away, no matter if you're full bore on, no matter if you just got back on the tracks with your child, your son or your daughter, that when you leave these grounds today, that you will make a commitment that you will never, ever, 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 ever renege on your responsibility as a father. So what does it take? What are the characteristics of the kind of man, the kind of dad, the kind of father that's willing to stay, that's willing to pour in, that's willing to shape his son or daughter? Some of you in this crowd today are sitting beside a wife that's pregnant, ready to deliver their first child. Some of you have a chance from the early moments to to be a dad, to be a father. Some of you stood in worship and didn't even worship today. Some of you were listless in your worship. Some of you already need a, a good pat on the back and say, get with it. Some of you aren't leading your wife right now. She's leading the way and you're not leading. Some of you aren't following hard after God. Yet some in this group are doing an incredible job. So what are the characteristics? What are the ones that I have to look to daily as I lead Josh, Hannah, and Isaiah? What are the characteristics of a godly man? The Bible is implicit. The Bible gives incredible examples of godliness. I want you to open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to take a picture of what a godly man, a godly father looks like. And if you need a Bible today, you're on the grounds. Hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. And turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to read just to begin verses 1 through 5 of 2 Kings. When you find that with me, stand on the grounds as we read God's word. 2 Kings chapter 5 verses 1 through, we'll read 1 through 6. 2 Kings chapter 5 verses 1 through 6. Read this with me out loud. Ready? Read. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. You may have a seat. These verses that we just read describe a man by the name of Naaman. He had incredible, incredible character traits. We find in this passage that he was a man's man. He was a commander in chief. He was a leader, number one. And you don't become a general or a commander of a, of a valiant soldiers unless you have guts, grit, and a fearless temperament. That's a great characteristic of a man chasing after Jesus. It's a man that says, I will lead. I will cut the path for my family out ahead. I am the man, when my family looks ahead, they will see me out in front. He was also, we see in verse 6, he was a servant. He was a leader and he was a servant leader. Probably the very reason he rose to prominence to lead this group is because he was willing and in his heart, to go in first and lead his men. Servant leaders are your greatest leaders. Naaman was that man. We also see from this passage 
that not only was he a leader, not only was he a servant, it also says he was a great man in the sight of his master. Not only was he great, but his master saw it. And his master described him as great. When's the last time your son, your daughter, your wife, your boss described you as a great man? He worked as if he was working for the Lord. He was helpful. He went over what he was supposed to do. He was the first one in and he was the last one to leave the room. We also see that he was a valiant soldier or a courageous man. Some translations would describe this and say this as he was heroic, lion-hearted, bold and fearless, daring, audacious. He was a courageous man, a courageous soldier. The only way you become a general and a commander is if you are courageous. Do those around you, your children, your wife, your workers describe you as courageous? This passage also tells us this. He was highly regarded. People looked at him and they lifted him up. They respected him. He gained the respect and the esteem. He was well liked, not because of personality, but because of his willingness to give everything he got. So he was a leader. He was a servant. He was a great man. He was a courageous soldier. And he was highly esteemed. These are the characteristics of a man chasing after God. This is the kind of man that your children and your adult children and your wife and the world in which you live in is looking for. This character trait makes men great, makes good brothers, makes good uncles and husbands and friends. Maybe you even know a man like this. You can have all these traits, yet there still can be the most important trait missing. I'm going to give you a picture of these character traits so that they burn in your heart today. And ask yourself, as I put these up here today, do these character traits describe you? Do they describe you? The first character trait that we saw is that he was a leader. The second character trait that we saw describes another godly characteristic about a man. He was not only a leader, but he was a servant leader. He stood in front. His family looked ahead. He was always out there. He served. He went in first. He was the last one to leave the room. The next characteristic that we see of this man, he was called a great man. When people described him, when his own boss described him, when the king described him, he described him as a great man. Begin to ask yourself this question, men that are here today. When people refer to you, do they call you a leader? Are you a servant leader? Have you ever had this shtick given to you? A great man. The next piece that was given to him, and he's defined as he was a courageous leader. He was willing to go where others weren't willing to go. Leader, servant, great man, daring, bold, fearless, courageous. The last characteristic that we'll look at here. Is highly regarded. So if you're trying to become the dad that God wants you to be. If you're trying to become the uncle that God wants you to be. If you're trying to become the leader that God wants you to be. Look at these characteristics. Leader, servant, great man. Bold, daring, courageous, highly regarded. When others looked at him, he had respect because he was willing to do what others weren't willing to do. Yet you'll see from this picture of a man, there's still a piece missing. There's five pieces to this man. And we're going to see in Naaman's life, even though he had all these pieces, there's one vital piece that was missing in Naaman. There was one piece that would be cause the fall of Naaman. 
There was one piece that every man across this ground needs today. He was all of these, yet there was one piece missing. And the piece missing is the most vital piece I'll share in a few minutes with you. Because if you don't have this piece that's missing, this is what happens to your home. Studies show us this, that when a father is absent in the home, when a father isn't chasing after Jesus in the home, when the father doesn't guard the home with Jesus as his commander in chief, then listen to these statistics. Absent father, a father that's left, a father that's in the home, but comes home after work, sits in front of the TV and tunes his kid out. The father that's never in the picture at ball games. The father that's never in the picture with homework. The father that's never in the picture. These are the stats of children that are impacted by these kinds of fathers. Listen to these alarming stats today. 63% of teen suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of runaways and homeless children are from fatherless homes. 80% of rapists with anger problems come from fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavioral problems come from fatherless homes. 20 times the national average. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youths in prison, 85% of all youth in prison come from fatherless homes. Children with fathers who are involved are 40% less likely to repeat a grade in school. Children with fathers who are involved are 70% less likely to drop out of school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to get A's in school. Children with fathers who are involved are more likely to enjoy school and engage in extracurricular activities. Even in high crime neighborhoods, 90% of children from stable two-parent homes where the father is involved do not become delinquents. Now listen to this last stat today. If a father does not go to church, listen to me. If a father does not go to church regularly, no matter how faithful his mom is, no matter how regular she attends, if the father doesn't come regularly, one child in 50, one child in 50 will only be a regular attender. One in 50. Now let me pull away and say some incredible, incredible, incredible thoughts. God has given us an incredible opportunity to impact the family. Listen, that's a good thing. And we should use that opportunity. Back to this account in Naaman. Naaman was a modern day hero, yet he had one chink in his armor that's missing from this man. He, that he refused to knowledge, acknowledge. Look again at verse 1 of chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5. Look again at verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded, because through him the Lord gave him victory. Look at the end of verse 1. But he had what? What's your Bible say? Come on, help me. He had what? I can't hear you. What did he have? Leprosy. Think about this for a second. He was commander in chief. He's all these characteristics, but there's this one thing that he refuses to acknowledge. He lived and believed that he wouldn't die. He refused to acknowledge that he was a walking dead father, leader, man. He had leprosy. Think about leprosy. In our world today, we aren't hit as much with it, but during these times, it was a very common disease. In fact, it was incurable by man. Many believed that God inflicted leprosy upon people for the sins they committed. Among the 61 defilements in ancient Jews, leprosy was second only to a dead body in seriousness. 
you couldn't even come within 150 feet of someone with leprosy. Now wrap your mind around that. He was commander in chief. Somehow he was able to lead this army 150 feet ahead of them, beside them, around them. And he refused to acknowledge that he was going to die. He lived as though he would live forever. This was the only way, 150 feet, that anyone was allowed to get close to him. Leprosy disfigures the body and the skin and bones, twisting the limbs and curling the fingers to form the characteristic claw hand. The largest number of deformity developed from the loss of pain sensation due to extensive nerve damage. Here's what that means. Once you have full bore leprosy, you never felt pain. Someone could come and cut your hand off, cut your fingers off, cut your feet off, lop off your ears, and you would not feel it. You had no pain sensation. And so maybe that was one of the reasons that Naaman lived as though he wouldn't die, because he couldn't feel pain. There are stories that are written by people who have studied lepers in our world. Where at nighttime in third world countries, they fall asleep on the floor and rats will come in and nibble off their ears and their lips and they couldn't feel it because they have no sensation in their nerve endings. There have been stories by Dr. Paul Brand that tells us that lepers have fallen asleep by oil lamps and the oil lamp rolled over on their skin. They got so close that it burned the skin off their face and they never felt it. Naaman thought he was invincible. Everyone else looked at him and would say, you're going to die. Don't you know that you have leprosy? Naaman refused to acknowledge this one piece of what it takes to be a man. Think about this for a second. What happens next? The slave girl comes to him. Look at verse 4. It says, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl had said. The slave girl came to him and told him, Listen, you can go to, to the king of Israel, and you can go to the prophet, and God will heal you. So Naaman hears it. He goes to his master, and he asks the question, Is it possible for me to be healed? So his master sends him with a letter in verse 6. Look at verse 7. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said to Naaman, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me called Naaman to be cured of leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. So when the king of Israel saw Naaman coming, he thought the king of Aram wanted to fight. Yet the king of Aram sent Nahum to be healed. The prophet heard this story. Naaman is one step away from being healed. Naaman is one step away from finding life like he's never found before. But we're going to see this chink in his armor would ultimately cause him to almost walk away from the healing. What is that chink in the armor? It's pride. And all across this field, there's not a man alive, including myself, that doesn't struggle with pride. Pride keeps us from admitting that we need help. Pride keeps us from admitting that we're sinful people. Pride keeps us from asking God to save our souls. So picture the scene, if you can, in verse 9 or verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Look at the next verse, 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Verse 10. Elisha sent a message to him. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. And your flesh will be what? What does he say? Restored. And you will be what? What's the word? Cleanse. The promise is there. Go see the prophet. Go wash yourself seven times in the water. And you will be healed. Verse 11. But Naaman went away what? What's your Bible say? Angry. And said, 
I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand on call in the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the spot and cure my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. He was ticked. I deserve better. That prophet should have come out of his house. I'm Naaman. I'm the leader. I'm a servant. I'm highly regarded. I'm courageous. Doesn't he know who I am? That prophet should have come out of his house, waved his hand over me and said, you mighty one, you great one, be healed. And because of his pride, because he thought he deserved better, His initial reaction was to turn and leave. I'm not going down to the water. I'm not getting dunked in the waters of another country. I'm not going there. Don't you know who I am? Don't you know that I'm a hero in my country? So he left in a rage, full of anger. I want to stop and say this to every man on the grounds today. Many of you, have an opportunity to be healed of this chink in your armor. Many of you, many of you let your pride keep you from saying, I need Jesus. And many of you would rather die than humbly surrendering your pride to God. Think about that for a second. Here is a man that had a chance to be healed. The verdict was this, go Dunk yourself seven times in the water. He had a chance to do so, but his pride wouldn't let him. His pride wouldn't allow him to do that. His pride kept him from being healed. So he stands and talks to the king and the prophet. He said, why didn't you come out of the house? Don't you know that I'm a leader? Don't you know I'm a servant? Don't you know I'm a great man? Don't you know of the courageous and fearless things that I've done with my army? Don't you know that my master calls me highly regarded? Dare not you come out of that house. You're telling me that you want me to walk into water, the Jordan River? And we know that during this season of time, the Jordan River was a muddy river. He was ticked. His pride wouldn't let him get healed. His pride kept him from being this fully devoted, godly leader. So he leaves in a rage. And healing was 10 feet away in the Jordan River. Yet he refused. His pride wouldn't allow him to be healed. His pride wouldn't let him become the man that God wanted him to do and be. Let me say it this way today to men gathered here. The most courageous thing men can do is to admit they can't do it alone and to acknowledge that we need help. Can I get some more amens out of that? So the final piece to this puzzle called godly manhood begins with us acknowledging that we need help. So what does Naaman do? Look at verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. They're looking at him and say, listen, If he would have told you to get the Spartan trifecta, you would have lined up and done it. If he would have told you to scale a mountain, you would have scaled that mountain. If he would have told you to hit a grand slam in a ball game, you would have done it. If he would have told you to go try to win a sectional, you would have done it. If there was a trophy to be won, you would have laced up your boots, you would have grabbed your sword, and you would have led your army. Yet you won't. Humble yourself and dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River. You see, his pride was about to take his life. So finally, what happens? Look at verse 14. Because of Naaman's servants talking to him, verse 14 says, So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan 
seven times as the man of God had told him. Now, pause. Can you picture this man? He's got, he's got skin hanging off his face. So he went down begrudgingly. Can you picture him? They, they take him down one time and he comes, I didn't do anything. Get me out of here. And they're saying, no, Naaman, you got to go seven times. Why seven times? I'm, I'm a mic person, everyone around him. What a good will this do? Yet that seventh time. So down, he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was what? What's the word? Restored. And became what? Clean. Like a young boy. And then Naaman says this in verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now... I know that there is no God in all the what world except in where Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. So what did he do? He surrendered his heart to Jesus. He was willing to surrender his heart. He was willing to set aside his pride. He was willing to take his pride And strip himself of it. And he said, you know what? I will surrender my heart to God. And when he swallowed his pride and dipped his head and listened to the prophet, he was cleansed. He was healed. And he became the man that God had built him to be. So what does that look like today? Here's what that looks like. When men of God are willing, when they are willing to surrender their hearts, they become the men that God wants them to be. They become the dads that God wants them to be. Yet if he hadn't surrendered his heart, if he wasn't willing to surrender his heart, then he would have never become the man that God wanted him to become. So let me ask you a question today. How many of you are missing a piece? How many of you are letting one piece out? Here's what that looks like if that's you. If you're unwilling to surrender your pride, if you're unwilling to say, I need help, then you will never become the father, the man that God wants you to become. Ask yourself this question. Have you surrendered your heart to the Lord. Are you willing to acknowledge that there's no God like our God? When we surrender our hearts to Jesus, it takes all those other character traits and adds life to them. It is a game changer. Do you remember the opening video with Kelly Clarkson? She had an absent father. Yet her husband became the father to her kids that she never had. And he filled in that peace that was missing from her father. Let me say it this way today. Many of you across the grounds today. Many of you are missing one important piece in godly manhood. Many of you will never admit it. But maybe today you'll finally admit it. So today... I will be the servant girl who was willing to go, who was willing to go to Naaman and say, you need to go to God. Today, I will be that servant girl who won't let you go to hell. Today, I will be the person. Today, I will be the person that will allow you to know that the only way that you can find life, the only way that you'll be the man that God created you to be is to surrender your heart to Jesus. And when you do, you become the dad, the uncle, the father, the brother, the man that God created you to become. But it takes a surrendered heart. Many of you across these grounds aren't willing to admit that. But today could be the day Maybe you got invited here today by a friend. Maybe, maybe your daughter, your son, maybe your wife brought you here. Maybe you're sitting here begrudgingly. What am I doing here? 
And maybe you're saying, I want to get out of here. Maybe the reason you're here today is because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to give you that missing piece in your armor. And maybe you're here today because you need Jesus. Let me just say it this way. The Bible is clear that those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior spend their eternity in hell. Let me give you another alarming statistics. Right now in our world, a person dies every two seconds and dies and goes to hell. Picture that for a second. Every two seconds, someone dies and goes to hell. Picture that. One, two. One, two. One, two. One, two. One, two. Eight people just went to hell in a matter of 16 seconds. Please, let me speak as a friend, as a brother. Let me take off my hat of pastor and say, don't leave these grounds, please. Unless you know that you trusted in Jesus Christ. Listen, you could leave here today. Maybe you're on a bike. You could leave here today and lay your bike down and lose your life. Do you know where you're headed the next breath you breathe? Many of you are like Naaman. Oh, I got more time. And you refuse to acknowledge that you are the walking dead. Please. Let's don't waste the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible is clear. We trust in Jesus. We acknowledge that we are sinners and we believe that he was raised from the dead. We will be saved. I'm going to ask you to do something right now. I'm going to ask for a bold act from friends. The Bible tells us that our days are numbered. Today, God could call your number. Before you leave these grounds, God could call your number. Do you know that you know that your next breath on the other side of death is an eternity in heaven? Or will you be like those people who die every two seconds and go to hell? I'm going to ask men to do something bold right now. Some of you across this room and across this field know someone that you're not certain whether they know Christ. Some of you have brought people. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's some of you even have friends that you work with. Some of you, some of you have sons and daughters. Some of you need Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now as the band comes out. I'm asking you to stand. But I want you to do something. Don't leave where you're at. I'm going to ask you to do the most courageous thing that you might have ever done. I want you to be the slave girl in this story. I want you, if you need to, listen to me, men. Listen to me. If you have to walk across that center aisle and find a man, if you're standing with someone, maybe it's your friend, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's an employee, I want you to do something really bold right now. I want you to go to them, look them in the face and say, I just got to know. I just got to know. I just got to know. Listen, you, we've worked together. You're my friend. You're my neighbor. We rode bikes together. We've worked together. I have to know, do you know Jesus? I want you to just step across. I want you to walk through your pride. And I want you to make sure that your children, that your wife, that friends, and those close to you, a brother, I want you to get up. I want you to go to him and say, do you know Jesus? And if you don't know Jesus, listen, I want you to come forward here in a moment. And I will walk with you. I'll walk by your side. I will be the slave girl. I will be a brother. I will walk to the front so that you can trust in Jesus. Now, hold on a second. When you trust in Jesus, you surrender your heart. It's a heart that's on fire for the Lord. And so here's what we want you to do. If today's the day you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I've been holding out and I'm uncertain. And today's the day. Today's the day. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not waiting any longer. I want you to come right down the center and over on my far left, there's some, some torches that are yet to be lit. I want you to go and grab a torch and stick it in that barrel over there and bring it back to the front and hold it up piece by piece. I want you to take the missing piece that's a surrendered heart and I want you to walk over, grab a torch, bring it to the front and I want you to put the man back in order, piece 
by peace. So as we sing this song, I just want you to come. If you need Jesus, I'm going to ask you to come. Listen, maybe you just come by yourself. Listen, you don't have anybody around you. So as we sing this song, listen, if you want to trust in Jesus Christ, if you want to say today's the day, I want to surrender. Today's the day. Just, just, just come. I'm just asking you to come. Just grab someone, walk across the field. Let some of you are standing still. Do you know that the person beside you knows Jesus? Ask them. If you're a Christ follower, be bold. Don't be afraid. I don't see people moving. If you're a Christ follower, look around. Ask the person around you. Do you know Jesus? If you don't know, walk with them. I want you to come. Come, come right up. Listen, move. If you've got to leave your chair to find a teenage friend, if you've got to leave your chair to walk to the back, I want you to do it. I want you to go and grab, grab a torch. Don't be afraid. Now listen, there's some of you out there, I want to speak to you. Right now, your pride is saying, I'm okay. I go to church. In fact, this is the second father say, listen to me. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, listen to me. Don't stand there. If you don't know with for absolute certainty that you love Jesus, that you surrendered your heart. Listen, do the bravest thing you've ever done. Peace by peace, replace the peace a surrendered heart. So come, just come. Don't stand there, don't stand there. Ladies, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to come. Kids, if you don't know Jesus, I want you to come. Turn and walk and go get a torch. And let's sing this song. And come to the front. Don't stand there. Don't leave these grounds. Don't leave. Children, youth, ladies, if you don't know Christ, come. Listen, maybe the Spirit of God is still talking to you. And you haven't moved six inches from your spot. Maybe you need to just move across and go ask someone. Just stay right here, brother. Can we praise God for those responses that we're seeing? You see, it takes peace. By peace, we become the man that God wants us to be. Peace by peace. Listen, we got time. If your heart is pounding out of your chest, listen to me. That's God saying, go, come. Even if you have to run from the back and you're standing in a tent and you're trying to hide, Jesus died for you. So come. Even if you got to come from under that tree over by the bikes, come, come. Peace by peace, man by man, one person at a time. Now listen to me. Here's what's taking place. If you get the man, you get the family. If you get the family, you get the community. If you get the community, you get the world. It's peace by peace. I see dads bringing their daughters. I see friends bringing their friends. Let me speak to you that are coming. I am proud of you. I am praising God with you. This is the best decision you've ever made. Dads, don't let your kids go to hell. Dads, you make sure your kids know Jesus. Do the most godly thing you've ever done. Turn to them and say, do you know that you know? Piece by piece. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. To my right is a fire pit. I want to show you what happens when one man... Two men, three men, four men, 10 men, 20 men. What happens when torch by torch, heart by heart, piece by piece, you get the man, you get the family, you get the community, you get the world for Jesus. Can we hear that? So once you go, drop your torch in the fire, piece by piece. Watch the fire grow. Celebrate. Can we celebrate what God has done today? Can we celebrate? We're seeing piece by piece family being put back together. We're seeing God move in a powerful way. And they're still coming. And we're celebrating what God can do. Can we celebrate again and give God praise?
piece by piece. One family at a time. Get to man, you get to family, you get to family, you get to world. For Jesus. Can we celebrate what God is doing? I want to pray. I want to pray over us. Praise the Lord for the little gal, huh? Praise the Lord. We got time. We got time for people to respond to Christ. We got time. Can we praise the Lord? It's the bravest thing that's ever done right here. It's the boldest thing you've ever done. We praise God. I want to pray over you today. Dear Lord Jesus, you're the one that saves. Dear Lord Jesus, you're the one that gave your life. Dear Lord Jesus, you are great. You are the great God that we worship. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for your favor, your blessing, your protection, your anointing upon those that responded today. I pray, God, that you would do things in their lives that have never been done before. I pray for reconciliation. I pray for healing. I pray for dreams to come true. I pray for families to be brought back together. And I pray that you'll take these fearless men and women who responded today and use them to reach the world for Jesus. So God, we commit them to you. We hand them off and we say, do what you're good at. Make them. Now that you've began this work, God, we know you're going to finish it in them. And we just thank you, Lord, that piece by piece, one by one, God, you are taking back the territory that the enemy has stolen. And all God's people said what? Amen.